0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Tim, and I get to be the pastor here. And today is a a special day in the life of our church because I get to introduce to you a little bit later uh, some pastor elder candidates uh, who are going to come alongside me to help lead and care for this church. But uh, before we get there to introducing those guys, uh, today I really wanted to give you a biblical framework. For what church leadership, really, what healthy leadership looks like in general, and and so we're going to be looking at what Guy and just read, First uh, Peter chapter five. If you didn't get a, get a Bible out do that now for sure, get God's word in front of you. But uh, just to give you some context, if you're new, uh, our church is a little over four years old. And uh, since the inception of our church as a new church, a church plant, uh, we've always had me as a pastor, and then we've had several other key leaders across ministries in our church. And and even as a new church, uh, we had another church in the valley. We're four years old. We had another church in the valley who was 40 years old, come alongside us, Desert Springs Bible Church, to advise us and just to walk along in this with us and give us wisdom and and clarity and accountability and all of those things. But even with that, since the beginning, the desire has always been that we want to raise up other pastors and leaders like myself, even in lay roles, but in staff roles and all that, but just to help care for and lead and, and grow the church God has entrusted to us. And so that's not something you enter into lightly. Uh, That's something that takes time. And so it's taken us four years to get to that point, but I'm so excited that today we're at a point where we're introducing to you candidates to become elders or pastors. And so you'll hear from them more in a minute, but again, I wanna wanna lay out a framework. Some of you have grown up in church and you're like, pastor, you you think that's a certain type of thing, or elder, you think that's a certain type of thing. Some of you are brand new to church and, and you're like, Elder, is that like a, a leadership council in Star Wars? Like, I, is it older people? Like, I, I don't know what that means. And so I want to lay a framework uh, for what it means and, and talk about what it even means for your life. Because here's the reality uh, some of you are thinking, well, Tim, can I just nod off? Because I don't want to be a pastor. And I don't even want to be a leader in the church. And so church leadership, healthy leadership, like, do I need to really pay attention? Well, one, you do, because every one of you is called to be a part of a church, part of the body of Christ. And so you need to know from the Bible, what does that look like? Uh, What does it look like to be a part of a body that has leaders and members? What does that look like in a healthy way? But even beyond that, in your lives, in your home, in the marketplace, at at your school, with your roommates, with your spouse, with your kids, you are a leader. Even if you don't have the the title, you have the practice of of leading other people. And what we're going to look at today doesn't just apply to church leaders, it applies to all leaders. These are principles and practices that will help not just churches flourish, but society flourish if we will have leaders who walk in this way. And and so engage with me here as we look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to look at the biblical leader. Guy and just read it, uh, and it's a powerful content. If you just heard some of the things that he read, the words there are powerful. Uh, One, because they're so countercultural, to what we see in our society as leadership. This is different, it's it's not lording over people, it's not domineering, you notice some of those things, it's it's, it's serving, it's willingly, eagerly loving people. And we see that throughout scripture and so it's powerful content, but it's even more powerful if you consider the context. You see, the context, this is the apostle Peter, he's writing to, to churches and Christians who are all spread out over what we know today as modern day Turkey. And they're not spread out because they all thought, like, it'd be fun to start all these churches and move all over geographically. No, they're spread all out because they're they're being persecuted because of their faith. And so they had to pick up and move their homes and move their, their churches all to these different spots. And so what you have now, as Peter writes this letter, is you have a lot of different types of people over a lot of different types of places, rural, urban, a lot of different types of ethnicities, a lot of different backgrounds, people who know who Jesus is, people who are brand new to Jesus. You have Jews, you have Greeks, you have all these different types of people, and that's the context. That's who Peter is writing to, and they are in the midst of suffering. At one point, Peter calls them exiles. They're away from their home. Everything's uncomfortable. Everything is hard. They don't know where anything is. They have this new movement of Christianity that people wonder if it's a cult still. Picture that context. And so Peter is writing this letter to say, hey, in the midst of all that, you still have this amazing mission to make disciples of all nations. That's your charge. Hey, in the midst of all of that, all, all the different backgrounds, all the different suffering you're experiencing, you're actually a family. You're actually a collective family. Even though you may not ever meet this person over here or this person over here, you're like a priesthood of believers. This is an amazing thing you get to be a part of. And so so Peter is encouraging them with this content, in this context. And we get to be a part of that as well. And as we look at the end of the letter today, we see his last words, his final charge to these people who are suffering, to these churches who are scattered, who, who need to not just survive, but to thrive. And we see that the last words, often the most important words are the last words. And what are his last words about leadership, and and that's no mistake, that's not a coincidence, like, I'm just telling off at the end of the letter, so why why don't I write about who leads this whole thing, right, no, there was some intentionality behind that, you see even in our culture today, in your business, or whatever organization you are a part of, that leadership is what causes organizations to rise or to fall, And that's the case in churches, and that's the case for Peter, and that's the case for God as he lays out churches. And so we're going to see today how can churches, people, societies, not only survive but thrive because they have healthy biblical leaders. So look at it with me. 1 Peter 5, if you do take notes, our first point is this, that the biblical leader doesn't rule from afar, but he leads up close, a biblical leader doesn't rule from afar. He leads up close. We see that in, the, in verse 1 and in the, in the first part of verse 2. Look at verse 1 with me. Peter says this, so I exhort the elders among you. Uh, again, if you're new to church, maybe that, that term elder is not familiar to you. But elder is one of the terms in the Bible that's used to, to describe what you know as pastor in our culture. And you see that term pastor in the New Testament, you see overseer in the New Testament, you see elder, and they're all used synonymously and it's all around this idea of being a shepherd. In fact, we see that in 1 Peter 5, verse two. He he says that they are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And, And so shepherding involves actively leading and protecting and caring for the church. And you see examples of of these shepherds, of these overseers, of these elders, all really the same idea. You see examples in, in places like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, where you see the character and the qualifications of an elder, of a pastor. And the reality is, as you look at the whole of the New Testament, you can see practical examples, and we'll look at a couple of, of how elders lead and, and their function, their role. But one of the first things you notice about elders and pastors and overseers and shepherds is it's way more character-driven than it is gift-oriented. And again, this is important for us to look at because I think immediately a lot of us, when we consider like pastor, church leader, elder, we think of a board that makes really good decisions, right? really well-known in the community and gifted and talented in different areas of administration and finance and other things like that. And we think of that as an elder or... We think of the the eloquent speaker and the dynamic preacher and the guy who can just walk into a room and just take it over. And you're like, wow, that guy's so gifted and talented. And listen, God gives gifts and pastors and elders, they are gifted and God can use all of their gifts. But what you see in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, it's not gift oriented primarily. It's character driven. It says things in 1 Timothy 3, like the person who is sober minded, who thinks clearly, who sees who he is, who understands who God is, who understands the gap in between those two things, who can, who can adequately assess our culture and be sober-minded and think clearly. That's a character quality someone who manages his household well, someone who is hospitable. That's what you see in 1 Timothy 3. These are all character qualities. So before we ever get to the amazing, eloquent preacher or the guy who's gifted in finance or strategy or administration, you have a God-given character that an elder has. We see places in Acts 20 of what elders do that they are to pay careful attention to the flock, to the church, to care for the church of God. James chapter 5, we see that we're supposed to call the elders in and allow them to pray over people and anoint people with oil. And so we see just a little bit this pattern of elders, character-driven, some gifts that are oriented towards serving, caring for, and leading God's people. What's interesting in this passage is Peter calls himself a fellow elder. Do you see that? He says, hey, I'm a fellow elder. Why is that significant? Well, again, it goes back to the root, the heart behind who an elder is. Who is a pastor? Peter says, I'm a fellow elder. Well, well, who is Peter? Peter was actually an apostle. First Peter chapter one, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is somebody literally who is a sent one to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the word and deed of God, to practice that on behalf of God. It's an amazing role, an apostle. But if you really look deeply, Peter wasn't just an apostle. If you read the Gospels, Peter was one of Jesus' closest apostles, part of the inner circle. And not only was he just an apostle, one of the closest apostles, Peter was an instrumental building block in this very first church, In this first rise, this movement of Christianity, what we experience today over 2,000 years later, Peter was one of the first building blocks of that. His very name, Peter, means the rock. So Peter, an apostle, one of the closest apostles, the rock, the key building block of this new church, this new rise and movement of Christianity, that's Peter. Like his LinkedIn profile was crushing it, right? (laughs) And yet, what do you see in this moment? How does Peter identify himself? I'm just a fellow elder. I'm just a partaker in the glory of Christ. I'm just sitting back and looking at the chief shepherd, Jesus, in amazement, just like you should be. He, he doesn't say, well, hey, is Peter, you know, just as uh, an apostle? In fact, one of Jesus' favorites. Uh, as I look down upon you on my throne every day... I just want you to know, all you little people, he doesn't say any of that. If you picture them reading this letter, even the elders are saying, oh, that's my God, Peter. We're fellow elders. We're boys. Just by saying that, he's not pulling rank or status. He's saying, I am with you. I'm an elder just like you. Why is he saying that? Because that's what he wants them to live out with their people. How do we know? We see him continue. He says, I exhort the elders among you. He's writing to all these churches, all these Christians, and he's saying, hey, there's these elders, and yeah, they're going to be over you in some ways, and they're going to be in front of you in some ways. They're a shepherd leading sheep, and so they're they're guiding them to a certain spot, and they're going to be over you, and they're going to be out in front of you, but they're also going to be among you that I am with you, elders, and and pastors and elders, you are to be with people, the elders among you, that leaders, biblically, they don't rule from afar, they lead up close, because it's like a shepherd to his sheep. Now, I don't know how many of you have actually met a shepherd. I haven't. I don't know why you would in the desert of Phoenix, but I hear in Queen Creek, maybe there's some sheep out there somewhere. and uh, But I've never met a shepherd, but I have been to a petting zoo. <laughs> and in fact, yesterday, my, my family went to a petting zoo, and it's always the same, isn't it, parents? It's always the same. You walk into the petting zoo, and you're like, they have a petting zoo at the birthday party? One, how come we didn't have a petting zoo at our birthday party? Work on that next year. That's just me as a parent. But that's the first thought I have. But then I'm like, how cool that they have a petting zoo at this kid's birthday party. Like, i like to pet some sheep. Oh, they got a llama. Oh, that's amazing. And we love the petting zoo for just a few minutes. Because just a few minutes in, you start to realize, <sniffs> <sniffs> I'm ready to leave this petting zoo. Like, it stinks in here. And guess what? Not only did the sheep stink and these other animals stink, i'm starting to stink right why because you're petting the little sheep and their odor it gets on you because you're with them because you're amongst them and you can tell if you did meet a shepherd you would know it (laughs) right because if a shepherd walked in here right now and sat next to you you would scoot over a few chairs right even though you love people and jesus and all that stuff you'd be like i'm just gonna i gotta go to the bathroom um why? Because they're not just with sheep for five minutes in a petting zoo. They're with them all day. Because they're a shepherd and they lead sheep and they're among them. Listen, a pastor, an elder, in a church, you should be able to spot them. Because as you get next to them, you kind of smell like your people. Like Phoenix Bible, like, yeah, I know somebody, like you guys are urban. Yeah, I can tell. Like you guys are in, in Phoenix and you're trying to love Jesus and lead others to Jesus and live like Jesus. I, I can just tell by the way you talk. Like, you, you know your people. I, I can just tell. You, you always talk about, like, Susie and, and Billy and just the different things that they're struggling with and how you're trying to grow them up into mature disciples in Jesus. And you know the needs of your area. You're not just thinking, like, let me take a boxed church in another state that's, that's really doing well and all the people are coming, and let me just unbox that here in central Phoenix. Like, you're not just doing that. You know the needs of this area. You know the demographics. You know what people need because you're with them. That a shepherd is with the sheep. And so you can tell a pastor is with his people, and you should be able to tell. And so here's what that means. I know a lot of us have been a part of different churches and we see churches from afar. If you have a pastor, an elder, who hides in a green room or hides in an office all week, but then steps out on stage and wows you with a d- d- dynamic message and an eloquent word and then goes off and hides and you never see him again, that's not a pastor, that's a performer. Right, why? Because a pastor is with his people, and you can, you can tell, just like a shepherd is with his sheep. We use that language, and the New Testament uses that language, not because they couldn't find some other imagery. They use that because that's what it means, the very nature of what it means to be a pastor is to be with his people. And so Peter is exhorting these, these elders and churches, hey, you guys are suffering, you guys are diverse in all these different places, things are hard, you know what's gonna keep you together? It's pastors, leaders who are with the people, spending time with the people, knowing what the people need and how to care and how to shepherd specifically for this group of people. A pastor, a biblical leader, doesn't rule from afar, but he leads up close. you should expect that from me. You should expect that from all pastors because that's what the Bible expects of elders and pastors. Second thing, if you take notes. A biblical leader, he doesn't lead out of lust for power. He leads out of love for people. We see that in the second part of verse 2 and verse 3. Look at it with me. We see three contrasts. Peter gives us the first one, that a biblical leader, he's not leading under compulsion, but willingly. This is not a have to, but it's a get to. Uh, The next contrast, he says, not just willingly, but eagerly. And in that day, most scholars believe that the reason he would say something like that is because again, all these churches, Christians are being persecuted for their faith. And so, of course, the leaders, the elders, the pastors, they're being persecuted all the more because they're leading out in this. And that in that day, probably some of those leaders died. Some of those leaders, bad things happened to their family. And that as churches started to look around, they're like, well, we have this guy leading us. He's not here anymore. We have this guy leading us. I mean, he, He's injured. He can't lead anymore. He's sick. That they're being persecuted and that some people in that day might have said, well, you know, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be an elder. But if you need somebody, I guess sign me up. And out of compulsion, they would lead. And that's not just something we see back then, that's something we see today. And again, not just in churches, there's all sorts of places in the marketplace, in school, where you're just like, man, I don't really want to do this, but I guess I gotta, right? That's your internship in college, right? Like, I don't want to work at this company, like, but I gotta for the resume, like, I'll just, I'll just do it. And, And Peter's saying, no, biblical leadership isn't like that. That it's not like that. That it's something you do willingly. It's something you do eagerly. It's not out of a lust for power. It's not even a have to. It's a, it's a get to. And there's two reasons why I think that is. One is Peter's trying to show them, hey, it's a privilege to lead. It's a privilege to lead. Specifically in a church context. Why? If you think about it, we serve a God who spoke creation into being. Spoke it with his words. You think that God needs me to lead, to help make disciples of all nations? I mean, he spoke a sea into existence, the planets, this rock that we're on that just rotates exactly right where we don't fall off of it. He did that with his very words. God doesn't need me, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need the most eloquent, gifted pastor or leader that you've ever seen. God doesn't need them. He could, with a megaphone from heaven, make disciples. He could, with a megaphone from heaven, mediate conflict perfectly. I mean, he could just put you in check with your spouse in a moment from heaven. But what does he do? He says, hey, come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men fisherman? Me? A tax collector? Yeah, you're going to get to be a part of an eternal redemptive story that's going to change the world. It's a privilege to lead. God could do it another way. He doesn't need us. He allows us to participate in his eternal redemptive story. And so Peter's trying to say, hey, don't do this just because you have to. You get to do this. He's reframing what it means to serve and to lead the second reason I think Peter says this and makes this point is because of impact I just try to imagine with me I know we just had Valentine's Day and some of you men got your wives flowers right? amen ladies right? Yeah, that's a good thing you should do but, but just picture with me impact what if you got your wife flowers not on Valentine's Day ladies say amen it's okay So imagine with me, it's just like Tuesday, not anniversary, not birthday, not Valentine's Day, and your husband comes home, and and you open the door, and he's got something behind his back, and you quickly see he can't hide it, because it's such a big bouquet of flowers. (laughs) And you open the door, and he's got this big bouquet of flowers, and you're just like immediately like, oh my gosh, that's so sweet. I mean, did I check my calendar? Is it, it's not my birthday, Valentine's Day was last week. What made you give me flowers? That's so sweet. And now imagine your cute little husband saying, well, I just, uh, you know, I made a vow on our wedding day to uh, cherish you and um, love you. And so I was just thinking maybe getting you flowers is like, I don't know, maybe that's kind of part of that. And... um, You know, I mean, biblically, I mean, I was in this Bible study with these guys, and I mean, they just said, like, you know, husbands are supposed to love their wives, you know, as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. And so I just, maybe flowers, I could just, you know, I don't don't know about laying my life down, but just flowers, like, (laughs) I mean, uh, I'm kind of supposed to do that. And so, I mean, I'm just, you like them, like, oh, you know. (laughs) Now, would she like the flowers? Put them in a vase, like, yeah, they're great flowers, now, again, let's just play that again differently. What if same scenario? Your husband shows up, wife opens the door. Oh my gosh! Is that flat for me? It's not my birthday. It's not my... okay. Just why? Why would you do that? What made you think of that? That's so sweet. And imagine your husband said, "I just couldn't help myself. I mean, you're... I just been thinking about you all day." And I want to just, I know this isn't much, but I just wanted to give you a little token of my affection for you because I just love you. I mean, you're so beautiful. I mean, to be honest, sometimes I think about calling the cops because it's got to be illegal to look that good. (laughs) I mean, you're beautiful on the outside, but you're also beautiful on the inside. I mean, I just love talking with you. I mean, I just sometimes I pinch myself at work And people are like, stop doing that. Stop pinching yourself. And I'm just like, I can't help it because I get to go home to my wife. And she's so amazing. And we get to talk. And we're just going to eat dinner together and later watch some Netflix. And and I'm just, man, I'm so lucky. Now, the response from your wife isn't going to be just to put some flowers in a vase. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. Like, She's going to be thrilled, overjoyed. That's going to further your intimacy. That's going to further your marriage. That's going to be this grand thing that she probably remembers for the rest of her lives. Again, ladies, you can say amen. Like, so men, just do that. But also, just what does that show us? It shows us the difference between a leader who, who leads and acts and serves out of compulsion because I have to, because I ought to, because I should, because I'm supposed to, it shows us the difference between that kind of leader and a leader who says, I get to do this. it's a privilege to serve my spouse. It's a privilege to lead my kids. It's a privilege to work at this job. It's a privilege to lead in the church and be a part of the grand, redemptive, historical work of God. I get to do that. Peter says, eagerly, you want to do this. That makes all the difference. It's not just about what you do as a leader biblically. It's how you do it. And Peter is making that point. It's the same way in the church. The contrast too, we see again, it should be eagerly, but it's not for shameful gain. This is not to build a platform. It's not to build a career. A biblical leader, he doesn't lead out of a lust for power but a love for people. And again, I would think this is just, well, of course. Like, why would somebody pick the role of pastor to build a platform, to build wealth? It doesn't pay that much. There's other lucrative careers, but Peter's just trying to check people's hearts and say, hey, you should want to do this, get to do this for the love of other people, not for shameful gain, because it's a privilege. He's widening the scope of what it means to lead and serve It's not for shameful game. It's not about you. It's way bigger than you. The third contrast, he says, not domineering, but you should be an example. I feel like we've talked about this every week over the last few weeks, but but Jesus redefines greatness. If you were here two weeks ago, we talked about that. Jesus doesn't say, don't be great. He just redefines greatness. And he says, greatness is going to be serving. If you want to be first, you'll be the last. And he doesn't just tell us about that. He leads the way in that. That if anybody would be domineering, anybody would be lording over, it should be Jesus, the creator of all things. That by him, through him, for him, all things were created. If anybody has the power to lord over, it is the son of God. But yet Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Yet Jesus gives his life on a cross and suffers and lays his life down for the world. He serves. And he's not just the greatest servant. He's the greatest leader because he serves. And so if Jesus does that, then then we do that. Elders, pastors, they they serve. Leaders in your family, leaders in our church, even if you're not an elder. you, You lead, you're great, not by lording, but by serving. That if you want to be seen as a leader but don't want to serve as a leader, then you're not a leader. If it's about domineering and putting people under you, people don't thrive that way, they suffer. Uh, this week I was uh, watching with my son the 20th most dangerous places to swim. My son, who's six years old, loves the ocean. Loves bodies of water. I told you we go to the aquarium a lot. I mean, he's just fascinated. He looked this up, the 20 most dangerous places to swim, right? And it was. It was fascinating. They were dangerous for all sorts of reasons, like people drowning, different kinds of reasons. But there was this one place called the Bubbly Creek. It's a branch of the Chicago River in Illinois. And they talked about the Bubbly Creek that at one point, it was a really nice creek. It was a really nice extension of this river. It was beautiful. and People could swim in it. But that over the course of about 100 years, there was a a meat packing plant that was nearby, and they used to put their scraps in the bubbly creek. And, And over the course of 100 years, just little by little, every day, you probably didn't even notice, but just little by little, they were putting toxins in the water. And it said that there was blood in the water and some of the scraps in the water and just different fecal matter in the water. And it became this rancid creek, right? And so you don't want to swim there, just FYI. And what I, what I thought about was, man, I, I bet, like, day by day, it was kind of hard to tell. Maybe even if you showed up there today, you'd be like, maybe it's a nice creek. But you, you put your feet in that water, you put your toes in that water, you're going to get sick. It's not going to go well. And, and you see that because some of the pictures they would show, there's fish, and they're not swimming along happily. They're belly up dead because of just little by little, hey, just, where should we put this meat scrap? Just toss it in the creek. Just day by day. That's what domineering leadership does to a church, to an organization, to a family, to a business. Just little by little, lording over people, proving that you have the authority, like, hey, don't you know who I am? Don't you respect me? Look at the nameplate. Just little by little, those things, people don't thrive in that. That's not what biblical healthy leadership looks like. Those organizations, those churches, eventually, maybe not right away, but day by day, you don't want to dip your toe in that water, right? Because people are domineering, and that's not the way it's meant to be. You are meant to be an example. An example that you call people to do what you do, even when you fail in that. Listen, as pastors are called to be an example, it's not that they're like the all-star. Like, well, they're the pastor, No, they're a pastor, but they're a person. And so is is there an example to you that they pursue Christ, and even when they fail, they're an example in repentance. They're an example in what it means to be broken. Why? Because you need somebody to be an example that you can actually follow. And, And if you say, well, Tim, I'm broken, and I need Jesus, I need somebody else to show me that they need that too and what that looks like. And so Peter says, hey, you're going to need to be an example. And I've seen this, and you've seen this. It's, it's been powerful when we see this. I've mentioned a couple times now a pastor in the valley named Tom Schrader, a well-known guy, been around for a long time, making an incredible impact. We went to his funeral. There was a few thousand people at his funeral because of the impact he made. And over and over, what people got up there and said wasn't that Tom was an eloquent speaker, which he was. It wasn't, wasn't that Tom was a gregarious guy and just fun to be around, which he was. It wasn't Tom had amazing programs and strategies and classes that he developed. No, every person would get up there and say, you know what, Tom, preacher, all those things, but you know what made a difference for me it was not a program, not a class, but his life. He was an example. I saw the way he loved his kids. I saw the way he loved people and talked to people and, and did prepare for sermons. I saw his struggles, And I learned from that. And that's the biblical leader. That's the way people flourish. That's the way fish aren't belly up, but they're they're swimming. And and people get to see pastors and leaders be an example. And this isn't easy because leadership isn't easy, but it's it's worth it. And I can tell you as a pastor, as a leader, we, we, we try to be an example. I try to share stories of not just me crushing it in life. But stories of, hey, this didn't go so well. And maybe some of you are like, man, that pastor's got issues. And yeah, I do. Because and, and, I want to show you, hey, I got some issues, but here's how I'm following Jesus. Come follow me as I follow him. That's the power in a leader. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we host a community group at our house, a small group of people who come in our house. We study the Bible together. We eat together. And I don't know if you know this, but sometimes my house isn't always clean. I know, it's hard to believe. But, and we're cleaning up the house, and we're just like, man, these people who come to our church, I mean, they're going to see me. I'm the pastor. I'm the leader. And they're going to see our house isn't clean. And then we start to realize, like, they're coming from houses that aren't clean. (laughs) You know? I mean, a pastor, a leader. I mean, the kids have been kind of crazy today. we got three kids. They've been kind of crazy today. Like, maybe we should just put on a movie, like, before they get there. To soften them up a little bit so they can be a little bit happier. Because I don't want people to see my kids like crazy. And then you start to realize, some of these people got some crazy kids too. <laughs> right? <laughs> I see a hand. <laughs> and you start to realize, like, hey, the most, the most beautiful, important gift I can give our church is not a perfect life. It's a real life who's following a perfect Jesus. That a pastor, he doesn't, he doesn't lead out of a lust for power or prestige or reputation. He leads out of a love for people. And sometimes that means, hey, you get to see the junk in my life, but you also get to see how I follow Jesus, and he heals that, and he grows me, and, and he helps me lead my family, and he helps me fight clean with my wife and reconcile with her and repent and forgive where I need to to my family, to other people, to my kids. That You get to see that. And that's what a biblical Leader is, that's what a biblical leader does. Uh, Matt Chandler, a pastor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, says this, and I think it just sums up a biblical, humble leader who's trying to love the people and point people to Jesus. He said this, God ultimately raises up leaders for one primary reason, his glory. He shows his power in our weakness. He demonstrates his wisdom in our folly that we are all like a turtle on a fence post. If you walk by a fence post and see a turtle on top of it, you know someone came by and put it there. You got the visual? That's a leader. It's somebody who's not saying, hey, look at my resume, look how great I am, look at all my beautiful parts of my life. You know, it's saying, hey, man, I just, Peter said it, I'm just a partaker with you in the glory of Christ that he's perfect, that he's got it all together so I don't have to, and I'm growing and I'm maturing, and hey, come follow me as I follow Jesus. We're pointing to him. Listen, my prayer for these elder candidates, my prayer for me, my prayer for the greeter, my prayer for the coffee maker is that all of us would take whatever gifts we have, whatever platform Jesus gives us, and we wouldn't use it to point to our gifts but God's grace, that we would all be like a turtle on a fence post. And people will be like, how do you get there? Be like, Jesus, right? You just go to touchdown. Jesus. <laughs> that, that everybody would do that. That you would do that in your home. You would do that in your job. Because that's what makes impact. That's a biblical leader. And that's our last point. A leader, biblically, doesn't just say, follow me, but follow me as I follow Jesus. Look at verse 4. It says, when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Verse 4, Peter refers to the chief shepherds. That's, That's one who leads all the other shepherds, all the other pastors. That ultimately a pastor, a good one, a biblical one, a healthy pastor, he points to the ultimate pastor. The chief of all pastors, all people, is Jesus Christ. You see, a biblical leader, he's not just a shepherd, he's being shepherded. He's got a shepherd out in front of him, with him, over him. And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the chief shepherd in everything we do. Everything pastors, elders do, everything I'm calling you to do is in view of his appearing. That's what it says. His appearing when he returns. That every Sunday, every sermon I preach, everything you do, again, every coffee that's made, every conversation that happens, that it all should be a view of not what's best for our culture, not even what's best for you, Like, when I lead our church, it's not just, like, what's best for these people? What would make them the happiest? It's not the way I should lead. I should lead in view of the appearing of Jesus Christ. Like, what would be best according to Jesus? What do I want Jesus to see? in this group of people, like, this community, this city, what does Jesus want? That's the way we lead. So, how do suffering-scattered churches, how do diverse churches... How to real people, different, different spread out uh, areas, and, and speaking different languages, different ethnicities. We can relate to that here. How does the church not just survive but thrive? You have leaders who lead like this. Right? That's the prescription in the New Testament for a biblical, healthy leader. That's for your life in whatever area you lead. And so now I have the privilege and the pleasure uh, to introduce you to some people. Who are moving in that direction, they're, they're elder, they're pastor candidates, so as we give you this framework, these these are these guys, that this is what they're shooting for, this is what they're aiming for, and I'm going to tell you more about them as we invite them up now, this is an exciting day, I hope you're excited, I'm excited, um, so let's welcome them up, yeah, come on up guys, as these guys come up, this is a um, Brad Hart and Jessica Hart, they're going to tell more about themselves. This is Bradley Hyde and Alicia Hyde. This is Graham Saunders and Savannah Saunders and cute baby Winston over there. Uh, he's going to be our first uh, baby elder um, of any church ever. And um, I'm going to let these guys share more. But, but here's what I would tell you just briefly about uh, them and about really the, the process they just went through. Um, these guys, most of them have been a part of our church for almost... The whole time, I think a couple of them, the whole four years, uh, one of them, three years. And so uh, the reality is they've, they've cared, they've led, they've taught without the title of an elder, right? They, they haven't needed like, hey, give me the nameplate before I'm going to do stuff. They, they've been eldering in some ways without that position. And that's a big reason why they're up here today. They went through a process, uh, really started about a year ago formally, where I started talking to them about, hey, we'd like to raise up pastors and elders. They knew that already, and, and here's what that could look like. And we had a packet that we made them fill out about their doctrine, about their life, about their family, and a lot of things that we see in First Timothy 3 and, and Titus 1 and First Peter 5, what we just read, and just, hey, let's, let's walk through that together. But their process started when they showed up here, right? They didn't just fill out an exam and get all the answers right. Uh, their process was just how they lead and serve you and their love for Jesus and their love for his people. And so uh, that's who, who these guys are. And they, and they did enter into that formal process. They did fill out that packet, which was very um, laying their lives to bear in a lot of ways. Uh, they read a few books on what it means to do a lot of what we just talked about. Um, They met with me, their wife met with me. Collectively, we met together. We pulled our advisory church that I mentioned a little bit ago, Desert Springs Bible Church. We pulled them into this conversation and had one of their pastors speak into this as well and meet with them and ask them questions and see, hey, what what are we not seeing here? And how can we affirm you? And how can we help you? And, And let's talk through that. And that was over a year ago that you guys started that process. And so I say that to let you know, this is a big deal. Uh, this wasn't flippantly gone into, and these guys have put themselves out there uh, because they want to serve Jesus. They want to be a leader biblically like we see here. And so I'm really thankful for them. I'm th- thankful for the way that they serve already, and I'm excited as they enter into this process. So uh, would you guys just introduce more about yourself, your family, so these guys can know you better?
1: Um, well, again, yeah, my name is Brad Hart, and this is my beautiful wife, Jessica. Uh, this is our son, Landon. He is six, and our three-year-old daughter, Charlotte, is in kids ministry, probably tearing some things up. Um, if any of you, if you all know my daughter, that's a true statement. Um, but anyway, we, we came to Phoenix Bible Church almost four years ago, and it was, it was kind of an odd Sunday because it was the Sunday after Easter, which historically across churches in America, that's like the lowest attended Sunday. Um, in churches, and so we showed up that Sunday to Phoenix Bible Church, and it was a big commitment for us. We lived and still live in Goodyear, and so we made the trek out here and passed, you know, several dozen churches probably along the way, and we came to this place um, in, in search of and in desperate need of uh, solid, exegetical preaching from the Word of God, and that is exactly what uh, Pastor Tim did that first Sunday, and um and we felt genuine uh, love and genuine unity amongst the people here. Uh, and so we, I remember driving back home that day, like almost in tears just thinking about um, how amazing uh, this body is. And so we made the commitment to, to stick through PBC and, um, and not too long after we kind of jumped into serving, probably within two weeks. In fact, um, I, I started doing the Connect team uh, which is kind of weird because the connect team literally connects new people to the church. And here I am like two weeks in I don't know anybody and I'm supposed to figure out who's new and who isn't and like try to connect new people. And so that's what I did. By the way, I'm also slightly introverted and social, I'm more socially awkward than introverted. So, um, it was a really, it was a really trying time. So like Tim said in the very beginning, like the test started when we first showed up, that was the test. Um, but anyway, and then Jess started serving in kids ministry, and uh, it's it's been an amazing process. We've gotten to make some phenomenal friendships along the way, and I love these three guys and their wives and families, and so many others out there. And um, we have an amazing community group in the west side, uh, the best side, and it's it's such a it's such a good group, and it's a thriving group, and it's uh, man, it's it's a place where we truly love each other, and so. Um, that's a little bit about us, and um, we're—I mean—we're really, really excited about this process. And really, the one hope I—I I, I have for PBC as we move forward—am am I allowed to go to that point? Yeah, go. Okay. I didn't know if it was like a step, multi-step no, process. Okay. Um, I'm really excited for um, for the for the future and the life of PBC. Really, my hope is that we would uh, live out and be an example of what. Uh, Paul uh, called the church in Ephesus to do, and as you read in Ephesians four, where he says he gives the apostles, the evangelists, the teachers, the prophets, um, the shepherds to equip for the work of ministry. That we would be a church of not just a few ministers, but that we would be a church of two hundred ministers, three hundred ministers as we grow. Um, that we would that this place would be a place where where everybody has. Um, a growing urgency to grow to maturity in Christ, that we would grow in unity together, um, that we would sit under the supremacy and the sufficiency of scripture so that we can speak the truth in love um, and that the gospel would move forward out of this place, that uh, we would be a kingdom outpost, as Pastor Tim talks about. And so um, it's been a a truly um, refining process. I think that word was used and abused quite a bit. By all of us, it's been a refining process, um, and it's been a long process, but it's been an amazing process. I'm so thankful for Pastor Tim and his shepherding and pastored over this church and um, and over us as, as, as men. So, um, yeah. All right.
2: Well, I feel refined. Um, so, my name is Bradley. Uh, I believe I introduced myself earlier. Uh, for those of you who don't know, you may... Uh, see me joking around a lot, but um, the truth of how we came here is that my wife and I moved here on a Greyhound bus uh, in the middle of the night on July 17th. Right? Okay, yeah, okay, whatever. July 17th-ish, and we got here to Phoenix, and we were—we didn't have money or jobs or a car, even. We didn't even really know where we were gonna live, but um, we knew we were crazy. But we weren't crazy enough to think that we could survive without community, and God led us directly to this community. And um, I would say that it is the single most formative um, aspect of, if not my life, but certainly our marriage. Um, and I am confident, uh, not in my own ability to um, lead well or to be perfect at all, but um, To rely on grace of God and to know that, like, we can't do this, and there's no point. There's no purpose in us meeting and doing this and standing here and going through this process of a year um, if it's not to give glory totally to God, right? Like, um, so I, I would hope that for our church that we would not be. um, I think that in modern, especially American church. We can rely too heavily on uh, the heart or the head. Like we can get um, hyper-theological or we can be um, so social justice that we lose sight of um, biblical truth. But I, I believe that we are an intercultural, um, inner city, urban church called to love this neighborhood, called to love all people, that this church would look like the kingdom of God, diverse, um, and just that people would come here and be fascinated at the dynamic that exists here in this community and i believe that we have that and so i would my hope for the future of this church is that um, we would continue to look like that we would look like that more effectively and um, even more pronounced and um, that the impetus would always be to love others well that we wouldn't be so concerned with um who we are that we would ever lose sight of um, what god can do when he gets a hold of people's lives because he's changed our lives um, and so, anyways, I'm really humbled and honored uh, to be here. Uh, I've felt inadequate through this entire process. Uh, I don't look at myself and go, hey, there's an elder um, in the mirror. And, like, honestly, a part of me was hoping there would be hats. Because I feel like in other religions, as you become an elder or something significant, you get a special hat. <laughs> but, Tim, we're not, we're not doing so. Um, <laughs> So that was the driving force in the beginning, and then, um, no, I, I'm really humbled and, and really grateful to, like, just, I love all you guys, and I hope that, um, that I, if, if one thing, I hope that I point everyone to Jesus. I hope that I'm just always pointing to him, because um, I can't do it on my own, and so I hope that that is known. Um, I'm sure you guys know that, so, um, all right, I think that's it.
3: I will say, too, July 17th was not six months ago. It was 2013. You just said July 17th. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, It's been around a little bit longer than that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyways, my name is Graham. Um, This is my wife, Savannah, and our son, Winston. Um, And we've been a part of Phoenix Bible Church uh, for a long time, Uh, actually since the first week uh, that the church was planted in the grace and um we've seen uh some really awesome things happen while we've been here and been a part of the church. Um when we first came to the church, we were still dating. Um and uh we were looking for uh, more community and people around our age uh so we could learn from them um and kind of be discipled uh by them as we moved into uh marriage. We knew that we wanted to get married. Um so we went from that uh to engagement to marriage together. Um all with our community group and with the church. And, uh, you know, we've seen so much growth from that. Um, it's no secret that people are sinful, that we're all sinful. And when you get uh, a group together, it's a bunch of sinful people and it can be messy. And uh, we've seen the messiness of group uh, and community, but also just the the beautiful um, redemption of that. And so we've walked uh, with people, whether in our community group or in the church, through some really hard, difficult seasons of life, um, and also through some really amazing seasons of life. Um, and through all of that, we've just seen uh, growth in our relationship and our love for Christ, and we've seen other people grow in that way. And uh, really, our our big hope uh, for the church moving forward is that uh, we continue that. And so people that are already in groups uh, are already in community that they would uh, continue to grow that um, even when groups are messy or hard or in difficult seasons uh, that they walk through this together and with one another um, and so we see that with current people and with new people um, and in a in a greater way um, so that's cool. my hope
0: yeah good job <clears throat> thank, you for that too. Well, thank you guys for sharing um, These guys are not gonna be, as we just read and and talked through, they're not gonna be a board. Um, That's not their primary function. Their their primary function as elders, as pastors, is to care, to lead, and to serve everything we just read. And so part of that is uh, they have roles. So Brad Hart leads our host teams and our service teams. Uh, BJ, as he already mentioned, young adults in college, he's gonna lead and serve in that way specifically. Graham leads our community groups. And, and they're going to care for and lead in all sorts of ways, church macro level, but they're going to have specific roles because that's what we believe God has called them to. And so uh, here's where we are. So we, they've been through this year process. Um, they are candidates still because we want your input. Uh, we want to hear your voice. And so we have two weeks. Over the next two weeks, that we want you to do a few things. Is, uh, we want you to share. We want you to share feedback with, with them directly, Matthew 18. Uh, talks about if you have a, a problem, a conflict, or something like that with someone, you go to that person directly. And so if, you, if, you, if your, things are coming to your mind, just like, I have a question. As they enter in this role for their good, for our church, I just have a question or a concern that you would go to them First and foremost, and that if you feel it's necessary, you could also come to me over the next couple of weeks. And so we want to, again, go through this process completely. Uh, it's not just like a final formality. We, we really value your opinion and your feedback. And so, especially if you're a part of this church, if you are a member of this church, you've gone through that membership class, we want to hear from you. Uh, I hope my prayer is that you will also encourage these guys. Uh, They are stepping into a very weighty position. Satan does not want them to do this role. Satan uh, attacks people who do this role, myself included, because these are the people who are actively warring against hell and sin and the flesh and trying to point people to Jesus. And so it's a weighty role. So I hope that you would also, after today, after this service, you'd come up and give them a hug and and speak a word of blessing over their life as well. So you have two weeks to do that. Uh, You have two weeks to pray. Uh, Pray for wisdom, pray for protection Pray for these men and their their families and their kids And pray for our church Take these two weeks to pray, to share And then lastly, uh, join us on Sunday, March 3rd To commission them, uh, to celebrate That we're in this season as a church We have more pastors and leaders rising up So we can see more people love Jesus Live like him and lead others to him That's the whole goal That's why we're doing all this Uh, And so that you would join us Sunday, March 3rd, mark your calendars, be here for that. Uh, Our uh, advisory church and pastor Rick Eford is going to be here, help me commission them. You're going to want to be here, it's going to be a special day. And so we want you to be involved in this as well. I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray over these guys, I would invite you to pray with me over them, Uh, and then we're going to sing a last song together, we're going to celebrate the goodness of Jesus, the chief shepherd who has served us so well that now we get to go and serve others. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for these men. I thank you for their wives. I thank you for their their kids. God, I thank you for their service to our church up until this point, that they are uh, not perfect men, but they are men who are growing in maturity in Christ, that they are men who will, uh, just like this passage talks about, that, that they are eager, that they are willingly wanting to love and serve your people. God, I've tried to talk them out of this. Because it's hard, but they've said, no, I, I'm willing, I'm called, I, I want to lead, and I want to point people to Jesus. And God, I pray that our church would, would benefit, benefit from men like that, from, from you leading through people like that, that you would help uh, their families just to be protected from the enemy, from doubt, from insecurity, that you would embolden them, not because of their gifts, but because of your grace. God, I pray that you would be with this, this group of people in this room. Uh, that are part of your church and help them to support them and come alongside them and lead along with them in all the areas that you've called them to lead. Uh, God, I pray for the men and women who aren't in this room yet, that who need to know you, uh, who are going to hell without you, God, who, who are struggling mightily in all sorts of ways, even if they look great on the outside, their heart is broken on the inside. God, I pray that you would use these men, you would use these women, that you would use our church to reach those people for your glory and our joy. God, help us, help us to celebrate you even now. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Amen.